and welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So on today's episode, uh, I'm hitting you with a bonus episode, because I feel like it. Um, So when you're listening to this, it's August of 2022. And uh, I have released an episode about Muriel's Wedding. Um, So that will be up and ready for you to listen to. But I also decided to throw in another Australian film that is I mentioned in that episode about Muriel's Wedding. I want to cover this wonderful movie. It is the penultimate drag queen road trip movie. We're going to talk about The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert from 1994. Um, this film is just so fun, um, so I'm giving you a double whammy of Australian films now, so feel free to listen to both of the episodes. You know, I, I really enjoy Priscilla. I think it's a great piece of queer cinema, um, it's just so, it's so great. I recently, my history with this movie, so I recently, this is a recent watch for me, I probably, currently right now, in August of 2022, uh, this movie is streaming on Tubi for free, which is great. Um, it may or may not be still streaming if you are uh, listening to this in the future. But uh, even if you are, like, uh, go up and pull up and go watch it. It's it's great. Um, but, you know, this movie is just... I probably saw it for the first time. I actually watched this and Tu Wong Fu over a year ago now. Um, maybe in June or July of 2021, because they were all on Tubi, so I was like, alright, cool. Uh, I'm still thinking of whether I want to do a Tu Wong Fu episode, we'll see as time goes on. But, uh, but this movie's just so great, I, I love it. <laughs> um, so the basic idea of, um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, so this film is about these three, uh, queens, you got these two drag queens and a trans woman, pretty much, who are um, traveling across Australia to go to a gig that they've got, and uh, a whole bunch of craziness ensues from there, pretty much. Um, So, this movie was a huge deal. I think when it came out, you know, it was made, uh, I'll get to the figures, but, you know, it was a relatively low budget, um, but it made a fair amount of money back. It is... A movie, like, I think I talked about in the Muriel's Wedding episode, you know, that film um, did well when it came to America, you know, in 1995 it was released, uh, but in, in the Australia it was in 94 it was released, but, you know, this movie, uh, when it came to America, it also did really well, you know, and it, it was able to, it is really a part of that, I think I called it the uh, kind of holy trinity of Australian films because not only do all of them have Bill Hunter in them, but they also I mean, this movie Muriel's Wedding and Strictly Ballroom all kind of came over uh, and were able to kind of get out of Australia and really um, have international appeal and success, which is awesome. So uh, I'm very glad I watched this movie you know, again, it was a recent watch for me um it is it is a it is a great piece of queer cinema, I think. Um, I will say, um, so I guess I'll just preface this by saying, um, spoiler alert, like you know, spoilers are abound. Uh, this is a movie review podcast, so you should probably expect that. Um, I will also state too that uh, this movie was made in 1993. Uh, it was released in '94, um, so some of the stuff in this movie uh, does not work. Uh, it may not be exactly politically correct, if you will, um, in today's standards. Um, 
But, you know, I think it's important to, you know, of course, look at a piece of cinema for when it was released. Um, And even with its kind of shaky parts, I still really enjoy this film. And I believe it is absolutely a cult classic in the... um, in the queer space and even just outside of it too, you know, this thing won an Oscar for the costumes. Like it, it had some mass appeal and it made a fair amount of money. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta give credit where credit's due, you know? So what we're going to do is we're going to go over some figures about the movie. I'll go over some critical response quotes. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, some of the characters in the movie. And then I'm going to give you some information, uh, about, you know, just some context about, you know, um, gay life in Australia when this movie was coming out and even before that uh, and then just some fun facts that I found and then we'll move into a plot summary but let's get on to those figures The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was released May 15th, 1994 it was screened at the Cannes Film Festival where it got a standing ovation which was really great it was then released in the United States August 10th, 1994 and then released in Australia, September 8th, 1994. We're looking at a budget of around $2 million or so. I think that was um, converted to American dollars from what I saw. Um, and then I'm looking at a box office. I've seen uh, everything from $11 million to like over $25 million, I think almost $29 million. Um, so needless to say, this money, uh, you know, this made its money back and then some. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 94% on the tomato meter and then 88% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. We're looking at a IMDb score of 7.5 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.8 out of 5. Response pull quotes that I was able to find for this movie. So we have uh, good old Roger Ebert from the Chicago Sun Times. He states that it's too bad that the requirements of plotting require movies like this to crank up the event count when actually what works is just the daily minutiae of Bernadette's life. You then have Rita Kempsley from the Washington Post who states, writer-director Stephen Elliott is obviously fond of his characters and this may account for the upbeat storyline, but it blinds him to how very annoying two hours of dishing can be. And then we have Lawrence Friskella from The Advocate, and this is actually a recent quote. It was April 4th, 2022. He states that uh, while this concept has definite fun appeal, the movie lacks follow-through. For our cast of characters, we have Terrence Stamp as Bernadette Basinger, who in this universe of the film is a trans woman. Uh, we have Hugo Weaving as Anthony Belrose, also known as Tick, and they are uh, known as Mitzi Delbra. We then have Guy Pierce as Adam Whiteley, also known as Felicia Jolly Goodfellow. We have Bill Hunter as Robert Bob Spart. We have Sarah Chadwick playing Marion Barber. We have Mark Holmes playing Benjamin Barber. And then we have Julia Cortez playing Cynthia Campos. So just wanted to go over some casting information about this film as well. Um, so for the three leads, so the primary choice uh, for the role of Bernadette was actually Tony Curtis, um, who read and approved of the script, but then um, just became unavailable, so he couldn't do it. They then approached John Cleese, who also was not interested. Um, and then they ended up finding Terrence Stamp. Uh, this is actually a part where, you know, he didn't really know how to feel about it, um, playing this role. But I think he does a, a wonderful job, honestly. And he really, he saw it as like, you know, uh, 
as this character, I need to believe that I am the most beautiful woman ever, you know, for it to come across authentically. And I absolutely thought it did. Um, for the role of Tick, also known as Mitzi, that ended up being Hugo Weaving, they initially wanted either Rupert Everett, um, and for Adam, they wanted uh, Jason Donovan, who's a Australian actor dude, who had, I think, also been on um, the... Guy Pierce, uh, <laughs> he had been on the same soap opera Guy Pierce had been on at the time, um, and so they did want them initially. However, apparently at a pre-production casting meeting, they didn't get on very well. They were like openly hostile <laughs> towards each other, so that didn't really help. Uh, but you know, Jason Donovan would end up actually going on to play Mitzi Tick uh, in the West End musical adaptation of this film. But Hugo Weaving actually had just worked on the movie Frauds, which was uh, Stephen Elliott's first film, and he trusted him, and he was like, yeah, let's do it. Um, I'll, I'll do it with you. It's totally cool. Um, and then, uh, you know, they also tried to get Colin Firth for, for Mitzi's role, but then, nah, they... Uh, you know, they gave it to Hugo Weaving, and I think he does great in it, too. He really makes you feel for this character. Apparently, Tim Curry was also considered for the part of Bernadette, um, but that didn't end up working out. Uh, but there was a stipulation of, uh, and I think with Guy Pierce especially, you know, he had previously been on the Australian soap opera Neighbors in the late 80s, um, you know, and I think he really wanted to kind of, like, um, kind of, crashed through that image that he had gotten on the soap opera, and I think this was kind of a really good way to, to kind of break out of that, which I thought was really great. Um, but the role of Bob uh, actually came from Terrence Stamp. He said, I'd play this role, I'll do it, but only on one stipulation. I want Bill Hunter to play my boyfriend. <laughs> and he did wonderfully. Um, you know, he just... And Bill Hunter, you know... Uh, Terrence Stamp even said, like, you know, he accepted the role without even reading the script or knowing anything about except the basic character description. And plus, also, at the same time he was doing this, he was doing Muriel's Wedding, which probably was not shooting around the same place. So, you know, uh, he was pulling double duty with that, but I thought Bill Hunter did absolutely fabulous in this film. Uh, also, another little fun fact. Um, so Julie, Julie Cortez, or Julia Cortez, uh, in this film, what's her name? It is Julia Cortez. She has only been in two films. This is her debut. Um, but also, for any like 90s children out there, um, she was actually the movie version of Rita Repulsa from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. So I thought that was really fun. And those are the only two roles she's, she's had. I think that's a pretty good career, if you say so myself. Like, Just do both of those. It works. It's great. So now that we've gone over a little bit of casting, um, we're going to go into a little bit about the filming of this movie. Touch on some filming information uh, about this film. So uh, in the opening scene and the closing scene, this was actually shot at the Imperial Hotel in Erskineville, um, which is in Sydney, uh, New South Wales. Um, the Imperial Hotel has hosted drag shows since 1983. It's uh, continued to be an icon of Sydney LGBT um, life, with apparently it has a restaurant and renamed Priscilla's in honor of the film. Uh, a lot of these scenes that are shot, including one where Bernadette uh, encounters a butch bigoted woman named Shirley, uh, this was actually shot out in um, 
the outback town of Broken Hill in New South Wales, uh, mainly at a hotel named Mario's Palace, which is now simply called the Palace Hotel. We also have some small scenes were shot in the All Nationals Hotel. Um, they also decided to film at Cooper Petty, which I don't know if I said that right, but it's a rough and tumble mining town. Uh, this is like where you uh, see Ping Pong Show, I believe. Uh, we'll learn more when I get to the plot summary. Uh, you see that there, and then also, like, um, some scenes where, you know, uh, Guy Pierce as Felicia decides to, you know, go out on the town and kind of runs into some trouble. That was done there as well. And uh, a lot of these extras actually were, like, literally just minors, like, who lived there. They weren't actors or anything. Uh, also, so near the end of the film, uh, you see that there is you know, these queens that go... And it's an iconic kind of, like, uh, image of these queens, like, kind of mountain hiking, I guess. Uh, so originally, they tried to get permission to film upon the geological formation known as um, Ayers Rock, or The Rock, also known as Uluru. But this was rejected by organizations um, responsible for the monument, so that's like a, it's a uh, historically significant and culturally significant uh, area. The Uluru Board of Management said no, it would be in violation of indigenous Australian religious beliefs, because that's another part of this movie too, is that you do have a scene with some Aboriginal people from Australia as well. Um, so instead, this scene was actually um, shot at King's Canyon, and so dialogue for that scene was actually had to be rewritten to help accommodate for that new location. I just wanted to go over some kind of context for this film uh, of just some basic history of what was going on in Australia with gay rights um, before this film came to be, um, just so it can give you uh, some context. I got this information from a really good documentary. It's almost about an hour long. I found it on YouTube. It's called Between a Fr in a hard place and it interviews different folks uh, who are involved in this production so you're talking to Stephen Elliott who is the um, writer and director of this film we're talking to the three leads Terrence Stamp Hugo Weaving and Guy Pierce, respectively and then other people who also were a part of this uh, inspiration for the film uh, so when we talk about gay rights and homosexuality in general in uh Australia, back in the 70s, this was widely looked down upon in this, you know, country, continent. According to one of the interviewees of this doc, uh, sex between men, uh, men between men, uh, carried a 14-year uh, prison sentence and a whipping, and apparently that was even worse than, like, uh, sexual assault. So the basic idea is, uh, being gay was pretty much against the law back then, and also extremely, uh, very toxic masculinity type thing going on, too. Uh, very macho kind of tenor, if you will. Being something different than that was not exactly, uh, um, looked upon as as good. Stephen Elliott uh, himself was uh, came from a family of divorce. His parents divorced when he was a kid, um, and he actually ended up. Um, he is queer as well. He came out as uh, gay uh, in 2012. One of the important key people of this inspiration of the film was a drag queen named uh, Cindy Pastel, who inspired the character of Mitzi in this film. They think they're still around. Uh, in Australia, they uh, their story is interesting because you know they uh, were a performer in Sydney and they were really into it. Sydney was kind of a hub of a lot of stuff going on, and I'll get to that in a minute. You know, you got artsy people, you got people who are a little bit more open minded. 
Um, so Sydney was kind of a good space to go to if maybe you weren't straight um, or you weren't just heterosexual, you know. But anyway, Cindy Pastel, um, they were their drag queen and they were performing and everything. And they got together with the door woman uh, at one of the clubs that they were performing at and actually kind of like were staying with them and like rooming with them at the time. This is back in the 80s, I think, or something like that. And Cindy Pastel was very much like not about having a kind of quote unquote you know, real feminine look, um, very much more like club kid kind of stuff and very outlandish and artistic, uh, as well. Uh, they're also in the documentaries, uh, as well, but they ended up with, uh, a wife and a kid. <laughs> um, that's not something you see every day. I, I know that there are drag queens out there who actually, uh, do have children. I, I know of at least two of them in Baltimore that have them. Uh, but, you know, uh, this is just not something that you saw every day, uh, especially back then in Australia, in Sydney. And so that was something that was kind of interesting to Stephen Elliott. And then also, I think another inspiration was that uh, Sydney had this big, um, it still has this big Mardi Gras gay pride parade thing going on. It's, it's gay Mardi Gras. And uh, that, of course, it's like a crazy time and it's like very well known. But apparently Stephen Elliott was just at Sydney Mardi Gras one year and he just saw like a, a wig from a drag queen just like rolling down the road after all the festivities happened. And he just like kind of got inspired because he was like, it's like a Western or something. Like, what the heck? Like, you know, he kind of created the story. What would happen if these drag queens just like would go across you know, uh, Australia and, like, go freaking, like, do a show or something. Uh, and this is where he kind of made it. And then having Sydney Pastel, Pastel there, you know, as an inspiration as well, he then rewrote some of the, uh, some of the piece as well to kind of add that in. Uh, there is reference of Lay Girls in, uh, to, in not to Hong Fu, in it's Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Lay Girls was an actual drag theater or restaurant, pretty much, in Sydney that was very much like, um, I've heard, like, uh, in America, there's, like, they had Lips back then. Um, they also had Lucky Chang's in New York that was, like, a kind of drag bar slash restaurant thing. But this was back in Sydney back then, and, and it was very much these like you know very feminine looking drag queens some of them may also have been trans women as well who got gender confirming surgeries and things of that nature but they were very well known it was like a well-known kind of thing you did um you know and it wasn't even just gay centered it was everyone everyone went to like girls you know people liked it it was enjoyable because maybe you wouldn't have known um in the 80s you know you have this gay, sydney gay scene is just really booming it seemed like you know again not all of sydney was safe obviously because no big city is completely safe you know sydney was definitely the place where if you were gay or any kind of like queer you were probably trying to get there because you at least had kind of like-minded people who weren't going to try and like beat you up uh we'll talk about it in the plot summary but there's a bar scene uh in this film when uh the the queens they stop off at their first kind of rest stop location and they go into a bar and a it's a very famous scene, but it was inspired by an actual uh, experience that Stephen Elliott had with his first boyfriend, where, like, literally, they went to a bar to get a drink or something. Apparently, they the people in the bar could kind of tell that they were, you know, maybe not straight. You know, this woman with, like, a bunch of guys around her kind of came up and said, like, we don't have anything for your kind here, um, which that's in part of the movie. 
So that was actually inspired by a real experience. Uh, I mentioned Sydney's Gay Mardi Gras. So, I mean, it's very famous. Uh, I learned about it from watching Kathy Griffin's My Life on the D-List because she went there, um, which is kind of fun. And she met up with, like, Olivia Newton-John, rest in peace, uh, and, like, Cindy Lauper and Margaret Cho and all that. Because, of course, she would. But anyway, Sydney Mardi Gras actually started in 1978. And it started out as a fight between the queer people uh, and police at the time. Because police did not have a good reputation, uh, these folks, at all. Uh, and it really started, like, a, a brawl between them, honestly. I think uh, it was, like, 50-something people who, like, got arrested or something like that. It was... It's crazy. Um, I definitely recommend this documentary. It's a nice little snippet of just some of this information uh, that you can learn. Uh, let's see, there's that. And then there are also the three leads, like I mentioned. Uh, so these three leads, um, they actually went out in drag before filming. So they literally went down to Oxford Street and like the gay part of Sydney, like deep in there. And they went out in drag uh, before they actually went to the film to kind of get into their characters, kind of see how they like to, you know, um, take their character and how they want to kind of feel in them. So that was kind of fun. And then honestly, in the late 80s and early 90s, the gay scene in Sydney just got wild and just unabashedly queer. Um, you know, it was just kind of there. And I, I don't live in Australia or anything, but, you know, if I have anybody in Australia listening, you know, please let me know. I think Sydney is still known for being, like, a gay mecca. You know, it's it's a place where you want to go where if you maybe live out... <laughs> if you live out where Muriel lives, okay, <laughs> and you don't want to be there anymore, you go to Sydney, just like she did, you know? But I think very much known, like, you know, we see Australia as, like, this place, you know, this country continent you know but you know they've had strife too and they've had to deal with you know um similar things to how even america has had to deal with gay rights and gay liberation and and all that you know and and um it's just really interesting to kind of see all of that because i would never have known any of it so when it comes to this film being a cult classic, you know, I mean, yeah, it like has a high score on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and it made its money back and all that. But I definitely think that this movie in particular is a cult classic because, you know, it still holds on after, you know, almost 30 years at this point, I think, my God, since it's been released, you know, it's still, uh, so important to people and it's also spawned you know um beautiful you know drag recreations of some of these looks that are in this film it didn't win an oscar for no reason you know it's also gone on to uh have a musical be done from it um i remember seeing that in the early 2010s when that musical first came to broadway and i was like oh this is cool and i'd never seen the film at that point so i was like maybe we'll get around to watching that one day but i still think that this film has such a you know certain place in people's hearts um it's really kind of uh it's definitely within the queer community seen as a film that obviously like sort of like tu wong fu thanks for everything julie newmar you know it's very much that kind of just like really great movie of just like you know these these performers just you know, enjoying themselves, going across the outback. Um, things get real here and there, but overall, I think this is really a, a great... It's a great movie about friendship and getting to know other people. I think even Stephen Elliott, the director and writer, he said that this is a film that's really about um, a gay man and his son, you know? And uh, you'll get that all later in the plot summary, but, um, 
you know, I definitely think that this this film is is worth a watch um, at least once just to kind of see what you're see what you're missing out on. So now that we've talked about that, let's move into a plot summary. So we start off the film by seeing that there is a performance going on to a song called I've Never Been to Me by Charlene, I believe their name is. And this is our title sequence showing us who's in the film and everything. You see Mitzi Delbra, played by Hugo Weaving, uh, is performing the song. And then you see Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, played by Guy Pierce. They are singing this song together. They're lip syncing. And then that lip sync comes to an end. And then Mitzi is uh, kind of looking at the audience talking a little bit and then she's walking off stage and a beer can gets thrown at her which is really rude and is kind of heckled a little bit and then felicia kind of just reads the heckler just kind of is like i'll piss off whatever they're in the back so you see that uh mitzi tick uh is back in the dressing room uh kind of getting their stuff together and they get like a mystery phone call pretty much so they get some phone call and then um uh there's like this weird hospital dream where it's like you see these feet of these doctors and you know hospital staff like walking and then you see them burst through these like double doors at the hospital and then you see um mitzi there with like this chandelier dress and she's holding a cigar in one hand and a lighter in the other and like you know it's saying something like it's a boy or whatever and it's just a weird kind of like dream sort of thing uh then you see mitzi walking out in the rain and she calls up her friend bernadette uh, who's played by Terrence Stamp. And Bernadette has some bad news. So we see that, you know, Bernadette had been all in dark, and you just talk about how she had some bad news, right? And so you then see this fabulous uh funeral scene uh where it's these people all at a cemetery and they're like in fabulous outfits and you find out that um bernadette's man this young gay dude i guess or i don't know what his sexuality is uh he apparently died which is really sad um but then you have that kind of australian weird comedy where he died by peroxide inhalation he tried to he tried to uh dye his hair himself and then he used choked on the fumes so this is when we know that uh, Mitzi has been asked to perform out of town. Uh, that's what the mystery phone call was uh, from before. And she asks Bernadette to go with her. And she's like, all right, cool. And so she accepts the offer of like, all right, let's go. And she's like, oh, it'll be good. I need the, you know, I need the time away. And it'll be good to, you know, have us just the two of us. And then Felicia uh, is then entered into the picture because, you know, Mitzi says, like, actually, the three of us. Uh, Mitzi's talking about how, like, she's really, you know, showed herself to be, you know, a, uh, a good little performer. And so I thought she'd be good to, to bring along. Um, so from what I kind of gather is that um, Bernadette and Mitzi have known each other. Maybe, like, Bernadette was, like, a mentor to Mitzi. Um, and then you see that, like, Mitzi and Felicia know each other, because obviously they were performing in the beginning, and they have kind of a relationship going on. But then you kind of see that, like, uh, I don't think Bernadette and and Felicia really know each other, so, like, he's just this young, kind of annoying guy, Felicia is, and then, you know, uh, Bernadette is this, like, older trans woman. She's just like, oh, okay, all right, well, I don't know what I've gotten myself into, but all right. They then all meet, and so Felicia uh, is singing this little song, I'm getting out of here, Dead. Holiday, hip 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 hooray! 
So good. Um, and then you see Felicia shares her little mountain climbing dream where she's like, you know, I've wanted to, uh, all I've wanted to do was like go to this particular mountain as a queen and, you know, just get to the top of it. And so that's when you hear Bernadette saying, just what we need, a cock in a frock on a rock. Uh, then you see Felicia bought a bus, apparently, from some Swedish people. Las, las, and las. And so, you know, they're like, well, we own it now, so cool, great. Like, when do we need to return to school? <laughs> so I think what Bernadette says. You see that Felicia is like, you know, I christened this budget Barbie camper. Priscilla! Queen of the desert. And so then you also kind of figure that, like, because there's a scene before that, before she takes the champagne and just, like, busts it on the bus. But, like, um, you see a little something there where, she, you know, you Felicia, like, maybe went to her family and was like, you know, oh, maybe if I get this thing, it'll, like, help me get through this phase or whatever. So, like, undercover, like, Felicia's family is, like, kind of undercover rich, maybe. That he, she kind of comes from, like, uh, more money, I guess. And they're getting ready to leave on their trip. They're packing up um because this is when we find that like apparently they have to go to alice springs which is like in the dead center of australia apparently and so they are getting ready for the leave for the trip they're getting on the bus and everything and then they are sent off by like the people around them be like bye have a good trip so then they're on the road and so then they got to break into the first aid uh, bar that they got, which is just wonderful and fabulous. Um, you see that they have a camping out. You'll also notice in this movie, there's a lot of scenes of them just camping out uh, outside the bus, which I think is fun. But this is the first night that they're camping out um, and, you know, they're having some food or whatever. And Felicia is <laughs> locked out of the bus and has to sleep outside. And this is when, you know, um, I think she's like trying to annoy um, Bernadette and, uh, and Mitzi being like, like, you know, uh, it, with my baby. And she's, like, trying to, like, go and, like, you know, knock on the windows and stuff. It's just so funny. So then you have the scene where they're driving, driving, driving. They're singing some songs, you know. And then they look out to just, um, they stop the bus. And then they look out at just the expansive Australian outback that just awaits them. And they're just like, oh, God, maybe we should have flown. Like, Jesus, Lord. You have that scene. It's kind of a known scene where they just look out at the horizon. You see them talking to each other, talking, talking. And then you uh, get revealed that Mitzi actually has a wife, which they didn't exactly know about, Bernadette and Felicia. Um, and that's who actually got him the gig. So when we got to that mystery phone call in the beginning, that's actually um, Mitzi's wife who is like calling him, telling him, like, hey, I got you know you a gig. Like, you want to come out and do it? So this is when they finally kind of say, like, yeah, I have a wife. And they then have another campfire outside of the bus. And she defends. So Mitzi defends herself and says that she hasn't lied about anything. You know, I mean, she wasn't exactly up front with that information. But she maybe just didn't feel comfortable to say that. And it's not really, like, it affects anything too much. But she does say this line. She says, I'm not sorry that you're here. She still likes them both in some way, shape, or form, of course. And, and and plus, also, like, she wouldn't be bringing them to this gig if she didn't think that, like, yo, you guys are talented, and I, you know, I'm, I'm down with, like, having you come to this gig with me. And then there's a little card game with Mitzi and Felicia in the bus while um, Bernadette is driving. Then you have the... Uh, Entering of the first town, which is these iconic outfits that they're wearing. You got the um, 
the flip-flop dress, which apparently was made for $7, and that, like, kind of, like, it was part of, like, obviously getting the Oscar for this film. But they got this in their entrance, which is, um, the song is Disco Round, uh, um, and they're just, like, walking through the town and just being like, oh, hi, hello, you know, and so they stop for a night at Mario's Palace, um, so, like, they're going here, and it has this, like, kind of wilderness theme kind of thing going on, but they go up in their room, and they're like, you know, okay, here's how you do the mini bar, like, you drink the gin and you put the water in it and then like oh what do you do with the bourbon or what do you do with the whiskey and be like that's where the complimentary tea bags come in my dear they're toasting and they're just like all right let's do it boom so then you have um they're going out to the palace um hotel bar and they're deciding to order some drinks um and this is that scene i was talking about from earlier where uh this was based off of a, an actual experience that Stephen elliott had at a bar um with his first boyfriend um, and this is where you have this, um, this kind of woman, kind of butchish woman. And she says, what do we have here, eh? A couple of showgirls. And so just generally there's going on some homophobia and some transphobia. You know, we ain't got nothing with your for your kind here. All that kind of stuff. Because Bernadette is honestly the MVP of this film and I love her so much. Uh, she has a great retort to this um, particular woman who's wanting to be all, you know, like homophobic, transphobic, all that. I just wanted to read that to you now. So this woman's name is Shirley. And so Bernadette literally says to her, she says, now listen here, you mullet. Why don't you just light your tampon and blow your box apart? Because it's the only bang you're ever going to get, sweetheart. So, of course, that was, like, iconic and wonderful. And so, you know, then you have, so she tells her off, and then you see them, you know, then just being like, I would like a drink now. Thank you. And so, and because everyone's laughing at Shirley because she was just, like, being a homophobe and transphobe. So then you see Felicia is, like, just drunkenly singing off of her ass, which is hilarious. Mitzi, you kind of get this earlier, but she sells this Woman cream, which is just, like, makeup remover or, like, moisturizer or something. But she just is, like, trying to sell this in the bar, which I thought was really funny. And then Bernadette is binge drinking with Shirley and, you know, she's just, like, um, you know, she's just, like, doing that and, uh, it's kind of, like, very much like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something like that. It's kind of a scene sort of like that where there's this binge drinking scene. Uh, but Bernadette keeps her own, man. But then, um, you know, because there was an earlier part of the scene where they're in the bus where, you know, Felicia says something about, like, can you confirm a rumor for me? Um, is it true that her real name is Ralph? And so that is one of the kind of not great parts of the film is that, um, you know, Felicia does do some examples of dead naming uh, with Bernadette. You know, there's parts where he might call her Bernie every now and then, and I don't think she really likes that either. Um, but, yeah, when she calls, uh, when Felicia calls Bernadette Ralph, that's not very good uh, at all. Don't do that. And so she's so this happens in this scene and then um, pretty much Bernadette is just pissed. So it happens at the bar and then they're going back to their room at Mario's palace and then like Bernadette is literally just like, cause then you have Hugo even drunk off his ass, I guess. And he's in the bed. And so then Bernadette's like, what did you call me back at the bar? And you know, like Felicia's just kind of being like the annoying young queen person 
and all that. And literally Bernadette is just chooses violence, which I appreciate because she just like fights her in that room because she's just like, you're not going to do that to me. You're going to respect me because I'm your elder. I already don't like you that much, but like, you're not about to use a name that is pretty much like not my name. Okay. We're not doing that today. So then you have, um, they wake up early next morning and you see that there has been vandalism to their bus. Um, so their silver bus that they got, uh, it now has the, uh, graffiti of AIDS fuckers go home on the side of it, which is interesting because then you had like this scene where like you had this scene of like, kind of like homophobia and transphobia with Shirley. Right. And then they're, they seem to be accepted once they kind of show that they're not going to be, you know, fucked around with. Um, and then, and, and they seem to be like kind of accepted and, and all that. And people are like, all right, yeah, cool, whatever. But then, you know, uh, the next morning you have this horrible graffiti on your your uh, bus. So it's just really, it's unfortunate. And Mitzi talks about how, you know, she thought she's been through enough, but like it still hurts though, you know, even with something like that. Like as a guy who, you know, is a cis dude, probably some sort of gay in a way or whatever, I don't even know. But like, you know, it just still hurts when you see that kind of stuff and, and it's not great. So then the girls are driving on the, you know, um on the road and they come across a shortcut that they could take and so Felicia's like on top of this bus and she's just like lip syncing opera on like a big shoe and there's like this gold it's not gold it's silver lame and it's just like um, in the wind and it's so pretty and that was like a shot that Stephen Elliott almost gave up on apparently like he was gonna be like you know oh this isn't gonna work and then it just so happens like right before he was about to just like say screw it a big gust of wind just like you know, came up and just like really helped to make that scene. Cause that's a very iconic scene, of course, with the, um, with the silver. And then you find out a little bit about Adam's childhood because Mitzi's saying like, what kind of childhood did you have Adam Whiteley? And so, uh, you have flashback to a, um, a young Adam and he, has his creepy uncle who is like in a bathtub and you're about to be like, you know, okay, what's going on here? And, and the, the, Uncle is, like, giving you, like, weird vibes where he's, like, kind of a pedophile, and you're just like, ew, like, what the hell? What is this? Do you want to play a game? But it's a game that we, you know, have to just, you can't tell anybody about it. You know, just stick your hand in the water and just, you know, whatever, whatever. Right? So you just think, like, oh, Jesus Christ, what is this? Like, what is what is this about to be? But then what it ends up being is that, you know, little Adam, he sticks his hand in the water, but he just takes the drain clog out and it like pretty much takes the guys the creepy uncle it just takes his balls and like sucks them into the drain <laughs> and then you go back to um to uh felicia and uh mitzi and they're just like laughing hysterically because then he's all like um and the best spot was that you know parents were out to golf so the fucker was just you know the dirty fucker was just like left there for seven hours and it's just i thought that was a really interesting scene because you think to yourself when you're watching it you're like oh dear god like what the hell is this like because the whole kind of one of the arguments that some people who are against gay people have or who aren't accepting of the lifestyle that comes along with it is to say like you know oh well something must have happened to them in their childhood for them to turn out this way you know that's not the truth or anything i mean child sex abuse is just horrible in general so but the thing is is like when you have something like this where you're like oh god like what is this about to be but then there's the kind of comedic part of like oh no this pedo is literally just like he got his ball stuck in the drain because the kid was like smart enough to just do that you know what i mean so i thought that was really interesting 
Don't know if it completely holds up still, but I, I still think it's kind of one of those scenes where I'm just like, oh, okay, got it. So then they're driving around at night, and then guess what happens? They become stranded. Oh no, the bus is broken down. And so then they're just stranded on the bus. So then, you know, you then have the scene where they have breakfast next morning. So you have, uh, I believe it's Felicia who's about to like start painting this bus pretty much. Um, cause she's just like, well, I'm going to cover this graffiti. Why not? Um, I love the breakfast of choice because I don't see Felicia eating, but like Mitzi has her Fruit Loops. And then I love how, um, Bernadette just has her hormones in a bowl. So she's just like taking her hormone pills. It's just iconic. Yeah. Felicia starts painting the bus. She starts painting it pink, which is great. Uh, and then Bernadette just starts walking into the outback. She's like, you know what? I'm just going to go get help. All right. Cause she's just like, I'm not standing around with this shit. And she is a woman, okay? So, like, she is taking her purse. She doesn't take no sunscreen, no water, no nothing. But she's just about to be like, I'm going to get this shit done, okay? I'm going to figure this out. And I'm like, good for you, Bernadette. That's why she's a, such an icon in this movie. But, you know, then you see Mitzi just starting to rehearse because she's like, well, fuck it. I might, I might as well, you know, rehearse our number, which is to I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. So you see a Mitzi in this, like, little green outfit. And she's like, you know, um... She's, like, uh, performing uh, just, like, in the heat of Australian Outback. So you have that. Then you see a super soaker. Um, you see that uh, Felicia has a super soaker of paint for the bus. So that's not just her, like, you know, doing it by hand. She's like, ha-ha, like, super soaker, let's do this. And then you cut back to, like, Bernadette just, like, walking through the actual Outback, which is hilarious. But then Bernadette finally finds help with these people who are, like, in, like, a freaking dune buggy or some shit. Uh, maybe not dune buggy, but, like, similar. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Spencer. Uh, and they're there with a dead kangaroo, I think, or something like that. And so they, she has to, you know, Bernadette is like, oh, cool, like, we need your help. Like, our car broke down, you know, our bus broke down. Like, we need your help. And so, you know, she's very nicely, like, they take her back to the bus, which is great. And she has to sit next to this dead kangaroo or whatever, which is gross. But she's just like, all right, cool, great. So Bernadette comes back. She comes back with help. But then when... <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Spencer meet uh, Mitzi and uh, Felicia. They just, like, drive off, which is so horrible. And then you get the wonderful line of, like, Felicia just saying, How many times do I have to tell you, Mitzi? Green is not your color. So then you have another campfire going on as well. Again, lots of campfires in this movie. Because you, you have both the day shots and then also the night shots as well. Bernadette. She is talking a little bit about being a trans woman. Like, just what it's kind of like. And... You know, I think that's when you see, I believe, the flashback little um, Bernadette. And, uh, you know, you just see that, like, this is kind of how it's been for me. And I decided to transition and do the surgery. I believe she does talk about, she, I think she mentioned it in passing, just that she had gotten the surgery, um, gender-confirming surgery. And then you hear Fernando by ABBA, and then I just felt like I was back in Muriel's wedding, which was really fun. So I had Fernando Yas in my uh, my notes. And then you have the uh, you have the girls that are rehearsing outside the bus, and then they meet a very nice Aboriginal man. His name's Alan. Oh, nice night for it. Cool. Can you help us? So like the girls uh, are then brought to uh, a nice gathering of Aboriginal Australian people just in the outback. Uh, they seem like really nice. They're just hanging out, um, and they're just like sitting around because they're doing their little. You know, they got a, um, some music going and you know a little bit of dancing. I think you know they're just enjoying themselves. Um, and then 
you know, the girls decide to do a performance for them. And so they have these fabulous outfits um, that they're just dancing in. And the Aboriginals are, like, so into it. Like, you know, they're town for it. It's um, I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor. Um, so, yeah, they were just like, yeah, they seem all into it. They then throw um, a little bit of a didgeridoo musical uh, interlude in there, too, to, like, go along with the music. And I love that. And then also... Um, there was a silver outfit uh, for Alan that he's wearing and he's a part of the performance as well. And it's just like so super nice. So I was just like, Oh, that's great. This apparently was also kind of a, um, it was kind of a point of contention for this script actually even getting made. Um, Cause like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of studios that read it were like, Oh my God, this is too racist. This is too, you know, like <laughs> homophobic kind of like it's too this to that. Like, you're about to put an Aboriginal man into like drag like how what the hell are we supposed to do with that you know um because from my baseline understanding i believe that when it comes to aboriginal australian folks and you know people who are not aboriginal in australia um there's a bit of a contentious history there there's some stuff going on you know there's not great history there so you know um that's always something that's kind of permeating their culture but even in this i mean it's very the aboriginals are like the coolest people like they're so nice to these you know performers you know i love that it's great so then you see like you know they're just in the bus it's um bernadette and felicia are just like in the bus and they're just like all right what are we gonna do i think bernadette's like going through an outfit of felicia's and she finds this like little glass it's like a glass bottle sort of and she's just like what the hell is this and then felicia talks about how she went to an abba show a couple years ago and she um pretty much followed one of the uh abba members into the bathroom or like wait until she was done and she uh apparently took a piece of abba's the singer from abba's like turd and she puts it in a little jar that she like wears around her neck maybe or something like that every so often because she loves abba so much so i'm just like okay cool then you see uh felicia and bernadette they're flying this um blow up doll kite to i guess signal for help because leave allen helps uh mitzi get to somebody who can help them uh, and so that's when we have um the introduction to bob the mechanic played by bill hunter so bob checks out the bus he's like you're gonna need this this and this um and be like but you know i'll take you back to my place you know we'll figure it out um or no it's the introduction where they meet them and then they're like yep like we're gonna take this back to my house and then you are introduced to his wife cynthia campos played by um julie cortez julia cortez and you know she is this apparently mail order bride um she is very filipino um and so and also just kind of casually uh a you know, caricature of race, um, of Filipino people, it seems like. Just, like, a little overtly, you know, kind of performative. So not exactly, um, you know, the most PC thing, of course, but, you know, you have her introduction. Then you have dinner at Bob and Cynthia's, so they're talking about, like, what do they do, and, you know, this is what they do, and, you know, they perform and everything, they perform as drag queens, pretty much, and he, and, you know, a, Bob seems, like, pretty into it, like, he's just like, oh, well, you know, back when I was in Sydney, you know, I went and saw La Gills, and I really liked it. 
Um, so, you know, he was, he was down for it. He was just like, all right, cool. I had nothing wrong with me. Because then also Cynthia's like, well, I perform too. I'll perform for you now. And then Bob's just like, no, you're not. So then they go out to the pub, um, because, you know, Bob's like, well, you know, if you want, like, I can probably set up at the pub, like, you can do a little show there, which is great. And they're like, okay, cool, I guess. So then you see the girls getting ready in this little, like, backstage area of the bar, and they're just like, all right, well, I guess we're doing this. And then while that's happening, you see Cynthia's back at home because Bob has, like, come and said, like, you know, yeah, like, because I think Felicia asked, like, where's that wife of yours? And Bob's like, well, you know, she's not allowed to come to the pub because, like, you know, she'll, problem with alcohol, like, she'll make a fool of herself kind of a thing. So then you see, like, you cut back to Cynthia and she's just, like, cursing this locked up cabinet that's, like, you know, up on a shelf or whatever. And she's just breaking into this cabinet that is filled with ping pong balls. So you're just like, okay, what the hell is this? And so you're just like, all right, then. So then you have the performance of Shaker Groove thing where the girls, you know, the, the queens, they are, you know, performing and, you know, they're performing. They end up, they end their performance. And then Bill Hunter's just like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, nobody else seems to be clapping, which is, you know, just like, okay, well, great. And then Cynthia comes in. Okay. And she is ready, girl. She is just... Ooh, girl, she is so into this. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of it, but, you know, you see that she, people are just like, oh, yeah, Cynthia's here. Great. So this is obviously a time where maybe she's done this before. And so you see that, you know, she takes herself up on the stage, on the bar, really, because that's where the greens were performing. So she gets up on the, the bar and, you know, she has apparently, um, Julia Cortez just had this, like, outfit, apparently. And so she's, like, you know, being all sexy and everything and you see her like with this little zipper on her like underwear and she's like put tools on the zipper and you're just like what the hell is she about to do you know she uh pretty much takes a ping pong ball and puts it somewhere and then it kind of just like pops out uh, into the crowd, and this is what's called a ping pong show, everybody. You know, I think it's something where you can see this in some Asian countries. There are these kind of like live sex theme shows where you know things like this happen. Uh, I'm not, I don't know the details and history of it, but look it up for yourself if you want to, and look up the history of it if you want. But that's what this is, and then of course, like you know, Bob is just like embarrassing. He's just like, come on, like get get, get down, like let's stop doing this. Um. But I will also say with this particular part of the film, like, it's a very known part of the film because it's just so outlandish and crazy. But, like, at least the thing is, is that, like, you know, Cynthia seems to really be into it. Like, she has a certain level of agency when it comes to doing this. It's not like she's being forced into it, you know? Like, she gets a certain level of satisfaction from doing this kind of thing. So, I mean, good for her, I guess. But, like, you know, again, it's one of those things where you're just like... Bob's just like, oh, Jesus, Lord Christ. Like, you know, then you see that Bob uh, takes Cynthia back home. And then you see the next day where uh, they just break up. Uh, and Cynthia just leaves in a car and she's just like, I don't, li I don't like you anymore. You have small dingling, you know, so that's the whole thing, too. So I'm just like, you know, all right, well, you know, I guess he's he's alone now. So then you see that they're back on the road again, and uh, Bob is now joining the trip because, you know, like, he doesn't have a wife anymore, and I guess he could just, like, I maybe he already owns this house that he has or whatever, but, like, um, you know, he doesn't really need to be... He needs to get away, obviously. 
And so, you know, they're, uh, he joins the trip to kind of make sure that they can get through everywhere. Because they still have to also get, like, um, a certain part. They have to be able to get it. So this is what they're going to get. Um, so, you know, he's just, like, kind of accompanying the trip. You see Felicia on top of the bus at this point. She's in a new outfit. It's, like, pink. And she's singing opera. She's lip-syncing opera. And, oh, I was mistaken from earlier. Um, you don't see a flashback of Bernadette's childhood story. That actually comes up now. Which you have this, like, uh, time at Christmas where, like, little Bernadette and, like, I guess her brother or sister, I think it was, maybe? I think it was her sister. They kind of switch the, uh the presents that they got so like um i think the idea is that little bernadette like went and like switched her present that she got as when she was a young boy you know uh with her sisters that she got you know and they were kind of you know he switched the the presents so that was kind of fun and you know just talking about like well yep this is why i did this and this is why I knew, like, hey, I'm, I wasn't born to be a boy. I was born to be a woman and be a girl, you know, so. So then you see Felicia and Mitzi. They're dancing near, uh, beside the campfire while Bob and Bernadette are, like, checking on the engine, uh, on the bus. And I like this scene because it's Felicia and Mitzi. They're, they're dancing and there's not like a ton of chemistry or sexual tension between you know mitzi and felicia or anything but you know they're dancing and all that and be like you know again he uh felicia's bringing up the fact that like you know oh well you know we get to meet the missus in just a little bit and he talks about something of like you know well i mean are you gay um and then felicia's like or no felicia's like oh well you're gay be like, I don't, I don't know. And then be like, all right, well, okay, then you're straight then. And then he's like, I don't know. And then it's like, well, what are you then? And, you know, Mitzi's just like, well, I don't fucking know. Like, you know, he doesn't want to be um, labeled, I guess. You know, it's a thing. I, th I think Bernadette says something. She says, we've only recently discovered that young Anthony here bats for both teams. And then Mitzi says, I do not. And then Felicia's all like, oh, so we're straight. And then Missy's like, no. And then Felicia's like, oh, we're not. So we're a donut puncher after all. Like, we're gay then, right? And he's like, no. And then we're like, what the hell are we? And then Mitzi's just like, oh, I don't fucking know. Like, uh, and I, again, I kind of like that scene because it's just like, well, he doesn't fucking know. Like, all he knows is that, you know, like, he has a wife and, and, and all that. But, I mean, he's not trying to label it. He's not trying to label what he is. And, and more power to him, you know? I mean, whatever. It's nobody else's business except his own. The gang get up next morning and they take a bath, quote-unquote, in nearby water. Um, which is just, like, water that's just, like, out in the outback. Um, because obviously they haven't come to a town yet. And you can see Bob and Bernadette being a little flirty with one another. And, you know, it's real nice. Because you can tell that they have chemistry as well. Bernadette and Bob do have some sort of chemistry. Um, and he's really taken a liking to her which is really great and so then you see um they're back in the bus they're driving and uh you have a lip sync with my uh with my baby um <laughs> from from felicia who was singing it earlier when she was like locked out of the bus um but she's doing it throughout the whole um doing it throughout the whole bus now which i thought was really fun and then the gang as i refer to them um stop in a new town I think, like, what's his name? Bob says something about, uh, he's like, well, I'm gonna go to the Gentleman's Social Club. Like, I'm gonna go there while I'm here because I have a few, you know, mates out here. And then Felicia's like, I wanna go to Bob, I wanna go with Bob to the Gentleman's Club. And then, you know, Bernadette's just like, Adam, you're not doing that. Like, you're either gonna come to dinner with us or you're gonna stay in the room and watch TV, okay? Like, you're not doing anything. 
like crazy because like friggin you know it's not exactly safe to be like prancing prattling around you know what i mean so then you see bernadette and mitzi they have dinner together they're talking a little bit and then you know mitzi's asking like do you ever regret like not having kids or anything or any of this stuff bernadette doesn't say that she regrets it or anything but you know um it's just one of those things you don't really think about after a while and and I, you know she even says bernadette does say like you know i think you would you seem like a great husband to your wife and if given the chance you'd also be a great father you know and and it's like oh that's so nice you know so then felicia and their you know trifling self they uh decide to take some drugs some e that they had you know stashed away i guess and they go to the video store where she asks you know do you have the texas chainsaw mascara which i love then she goes out to okay so then you have Bob had gone out to this, like, friend, you know, circle that he he had, um, and he comes, uh, Felicia then comes across in full drag, she comes across these men in town, um, and she's just like, you know, okay, I guess I'll take a, a, you know, a beer, and, you know, just, like, mingle a little bit, and, you know, then one of the guys, like, kind of notices that, like, Guy Pierce is jacked as anything, so, like, he, he's, like, jacked as anything, but, like, he notices that his arm's, like, really big and muscly, so they're like, oh, no, this is not a, a cis woman, this is a, this is a, you know, drag queen, and then they, you know, Felicia gets chased by these homophobes, pretty much. Mitzi and Bernadette, they're still having their dinner and all that, you kind of cut back to between them and then they see felicia getting chased by people which is just like oh my god what the hell you know and so then they're then going after her because it's like okay like we gotta like save this fucking man from getting killed pretty much and this is like a pretty intense scene of gay bashing honestly i mean i'm just like jesus lord like it's like pretty um yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Like, they are spreading his legs, and, like, I don't know what the hell they're gonna do to him, but, like, you know, and then Bob's trying to be there to be, like, you know, stop, like, you know, don't do this. Like, it's, it's horrible. And then, the one, the only, Bernadette comes up, because you have Mitzi there, and you have Bernadette there. Okay, so here's what Bernadette says to these, uh, homophobes that are about to, like, literally, you know, gay bash Felicia. She says, Stop flexing your muscles, you big pile of budgie turd. I'm sure your mates will be much more impressed if you can just go back to the pub and fuck a couple of pigs on the bar. And then Bob's like, Bernadette, please. And then Frank, who is like one of the homophobes, he's like, Bernadette, well, I'll be darned. The hell circus is in town. Well, I suppose you want to fuck too, do you? Come on, Bernadette. Come and fuck me. That's it. Come on. Come and fuck me. Come on fuck me and so bernadette literally just knees this guy in the groin like a queen and he, she just says there now you're fucked which is honestly just an iconic scene and i fucking love it it's so good and then like you know they're taking uh good old you know felicia back to the hotel and mitzi's pissed at her she's just like oh great you did drugs that's awesome like fucking hooray for you like you're an idiot. Then you see there is a scene where, you know, um, Mitzi's pissed at her. But, like, then you have a scene with, you know, um, Bernadette and and Felicia, who, you know, I mean, she's crying. But Bernadette does give some sage wisdom to her, where it's kind of like, you know, listen, like, 
it's not easy being this, you know, it's not easy doing any of this. And so like, you know, let this be a lesson to you that like, it'll make you stronger, you know, use this as a way to make it, you know, better. I will now read to you the Bernadette and Felicia monologue that they have. So Bernadette says to Felicia, it's funny. We all sit around mindlessly slagging off that vile stink hole of a city referring to Sydney but in its own strange way, it takes care of us. I don't know if that ugly wall of suburbia has been put there to stop them getting in or us getting out. Come on, don't let it drag you down. Let it toughen you up. I can only fight because I've learned to. Being a man one day and a woman the next isn't an easy thing to do. So it's like, it's such a good little like moment between Bernadette and Felicia because at this point, you know, like Felicia's been kind of an asshole to Bernadette, right? You know, if you watch this movie, you know that it's like, oh yeah, no, she totally has been. You know, this is a moment where it's like, listen, I've been there. I've had to deal with this horrible bullshit. And you know what? It never gets easier. I've just learned how to deal with it by fighting back. Let this be a lesson, which I love. It's just so, that's such a good little scene. And so then you see uh, Felicia in the tanning bed next day where they're, you know, on the road again, getting away from this little city. And they're off to Alice Springs. So Felicia's in the tanning bed, which is like kind of under the bus, which is kind of fun. And Mitzi apologizes to from yelling at her, which, you know, yeah, I can understand that you would do that. It's your friend and your friends might do stupid things every now and then. But like, you know, you don't want to stay mad at them. So then you find out Bill and Cynthia's marriage story where like, you know, I, I guess he's sharing this information with with the queens and pretty much like he had like gotten together with Cynthia but like it was sort of like a real rushed thing and unfortunately for her you know she kind of didn't do her research or anything and she thought she you know she thought that Bill was um that Bob was from Sydney and she didn't realize that she'd just be out in the middle of freaking nowhere and the outback you know they he shares that story um you then have around the campfire again um and then you know Mitzi and um Mitzi and Felicia are like, all right, time for bed. But then Bob and Bernadette, they stay up for a little bit. Um, And so, you know, uh, they're about to go in and just, like, have their time to go to sleep. And then Bob and Bernadette are just staying out to get to know each other a little bit more. And then so you see Mitzi and Felicia are inside the bus. And they're just, like, little two little kids, like, just looking... um, like just kind of spying on Bernadette and, and Bob, which is so hilarious. They have, like, these little binoculars. It's so cute. I wrote in my notes that they are honestly, like, friendship couple goals, kind of. Um, or no, that's not what it was. It's friend goals. Um, still kind of couple goals, too. Like, I, you know, you want somebody who you can kind of be... Especially since, you know, I mean, with Mitzi, she just, like, yelled at... Um, the, the, the night before or whatever, like, she just yelled at Felicia for being kind of dumb and, like, putting yourself into a dangerous situation. But, like, hopefully with a friend, like, you can be like, you know, hey, like, don't ever do that again because you could have gotten yourself killed. But, like, I still love you. I still are, am your friend, you know? So... I love their little, just like looking at them being like, oh, it's it's nice because you're like, okay, you know, Bob and Bernadette definitely are like getting to know each other and they're, they're having chemistry, which is great. Then the next morning, Mitzi and Felicia, they find Bob and Bernadette just outside. Bernadette's face like is in a, 
a cake, apparently. I don't know how they made this cake, but, like, like her face is in the cake, and then Felicia says something about, like, you know, someone left Bernadette's cake out in the rain, which I thought was really funny. So then the girls and Bob, they arrive at Alice Springs Casino, finally. Uh, so this is, I guess, the casino where, uh, I think you did learn this at one point, but, like, um, that's pretty much where Marion, who is the uh, wife to Mitzi, you know, um, they are, they own it, pretty much, and they, like, run it. And so Mitzi and his wife meet up, and they're honestly, they're the ones who are couple goals, because they're just, like, so wonderfully, like, you know, friendly with one another, and they just love each other so much, and, you know, I mean, it's just, oh, they're so great. And then you see that Mitzi has, like, an actual literal child. Um, so, like, it has, like, a seven or eight-year-old or some eight or nine, maybe. Um, but, like, you know, Marion, like, take, you know, Mitzi to go meet his son, which he hasn't seen in a while. He hasn't seen him in a while. His name is Adam. Yeah, and then the, the hospital scene from earlier in the movie now makes more sense because they play it again, but now it's, like, um, I think, like, Bernadette and, what is it, Bernadette and, uh, and um, Felicia, they play some of the people, and then Bill Hunter, Bob, he's, like, the doctor or whatever, and now it makes a lot more sense because you're just like, oh, no, he had a literal child. Got it. Okay. So then the girls, like, kind of barge in, and that's when you see this whole hospital scene. They kind of go in and they find out about said child. So they find out about Adam because they didn't know. Um, and like Bernadette's just like, you shouldn't shock me like that. You know, now I have like this bruise on my head. Um, and so then they're getting ready for the show. And uh, I'm just like, it's just so nice and, and wonderful. And you see that Felicia has underwear on on their head. So like, I'm just like, okay, like that's a way that you're using it as like a wig cap almost. It's very interesting. Or like your makeup cap, if you will. Um, so I thought that was kind of fun. Uh, then you see Bob comes in and gives flowers to Bernadette because he loves her. Um, and he just wants to give that to her to, you know, be nice. And then you finally then get the most iconic drag performance ever, um, where these drag queens, uh, they lip sync to Finally by Cece Peniston, which I love that song. Finally, you've come along the way at the... Oh, it's so good. And so then you see, like, they're transitioning into, like, their emu headdresses, which are everything and iconic. And then, um... So it's just a kind of an extended drag performance scene. Um, and it's really good. And then at the end of the show, they're in these, like, Marie Antoinette kind of, like, friggin', like, get-ups or whatever. Which is great. But then you have, you know, the show ends. And they get, like, applause and stuff like that. And then Mitzi faints at the end of the performance because she saw that her kid, who Marion has said to him, like, oh, you know, he's, he's in bed. Like, don't worry about him. All that. Well, he sees his kid at the show. And... And he just has these conflicted feelings, so, like, he faints at the show. Mitzi, Tick, whatever his name is, like, you know, they're they're having some, some conflicting feelings about this, because they, am I even going to be a good dad? Like, I don't know if I'm going to be a good dad, because the plan is, I guess, to bring Adam back to Sydney. Um, but Mitzi and uh, Marion are talking about Ben, you know, their son, and talking about, like, listen, you know, listen, uh, Tick, listen, Mitzi, I'd like to take some time away like I have been doing this forever I think I think Adam's eight years old because he's she says I haven't had a holiday in like eight years and you're my husband like 
I need a break. And fair enough. I mean, you know, there you go. Especially even though they aren't together together like that. You know, they're not divorced. You know, I, I totally understand. Um, and Marion, you know, says she needs a holiday. She asks him to take care of him for a bit. Um, so the assumption is that he brings the son back to Sydney and all. Marion's talking about Ben of like, you know, hey, like, look, he's understanding. Like, you know, it's fine. Um, Bernadette and Bob then have a nice, nice little tender moment where I guess the flowers that he brought her, like she had left them somewhere by accident and he brings them back to her and it's like really nice. And he brings them to her room. So then Felicia and Ben, uh, the kid are hanging out. Uh, this is where we find out that apparently Marion had a girlfriend. So maybe Marion also is like kind of queer a little bit too. Um, cause you know, uh, the, the kid says very, you know, mom had a girlfriend, you know, but she got over her. Um, cause you know, Felicia's kind of asking like, do you know what your dad does for a living? My, uh, my mom says he's the best in the business or whatever. And then I love when, um, Ben is like, like, you want to play in my room? I got Lego. And then Felicia's like, okay, yeah, let's play with Legos. That's fun. <laughs> um, so then you see, uh, the girls, Bob and Marion and Ben, they are going out to like a little, um, trip out to the mountains you know, on the bus they're playing charades uh this is like uh they do a charade of like rock hudson where they one of them picks up a rock which i thought was kind of funny and then the uh the kid he's doing like this um this charade he's like doing something where he's like creating like, a baby and then he's doing this thing where like he puts his hands as like um horns and he puts them on there and then everyone gets that oh it's lindy chamberlain which lindy chamberlain was the whole the dingo ate my baby thing um which is kind of a known australian kind of um case that happened oh another really like a scene that i like is that mitzi and her son finally talk like next to the water and this is like i think in the documentary uh, between a frock and a hard place i believe hugo weaving talked about or Stephen elliott or somebody was talking about how you know this scene is like mitzi trying to be kind of like straight with his kid in a way and i'm just like huh okay yeah i mean i, I can kind of see that but it's just so nice because like he's just trying to figure out how to have a relationship with his his kid pretty much because you can see that like ben is really accepting of his dad he even asks him he says will you have a boyfriend when we go back to sydney and he's like maybe and his son just says that's good like his son is just so accepting and and so loving of his father you know which is something that i think mitzi was really worried about like she was like am i gonna even be a good dad like i don't know and so then the queens finally go mountain hiking and drag and they finally get to do that and they're like all right we did it now what do we do? And they're just like, I want to go home. <laughs> it's time to go home. Let's go. So then, you know, the girls are packing up to leave. So, you know, um, like Missy's taken Ben to, um, to Sydney for the time. And, you know, they're all packing up a little bit. And then Bernadette and Bob are actually staying at the casino. You know, Marion needs somebody to kind of help with the entertainment and, like, make sure all that stuff gets done. And there's no better person to do that than Bernadette. That's always really nice and great. So then you see that Mitzi and Bernadette, they have a little moment where, you know, they're just like, oh, girl, like, you know, I'm going to miss you. But, you know, and she's even like, you know, uh, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to do this? And... You know, Bernadette's like, you know what? 
I don't quite know, but I won't know unless I give it a try, you know, and and that's fair. You know, you won't know until you do it. So, and then you see that you see Mitzi, Ben and Felicia, they're all leaving. Um, There is kind of this unfortunate uh, moment of like Felicia dead naming Bernadette before she leaves, which is not great, but you know, you have that little bit of scene. And then you just have like, because you've seen that Ben uh, is into ABBA. So like, you know, will you perform ABBA when, you, you know, will you do ABBA for me? Um, kind of a thing. And he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, and so then you see this ABBA lip sync where, you know, uh, it's Mitzi and Felicia. They're singing, you know, they're performing ABBA and they're lip syncing it, which is like really nice. And then you see that... um <laughs> you see that Ben, his son, is like, you know, working the spotlight or whatever at the club that they were at in the beginning. Um, and yeah, and you just see it's all nice. And then the number ends and, you know, um, Missy says like, oh, it's good to be home. And he like takes his wig off and just like makes his face to the camera. And then that's the end of the movie. And you have these end credits, um, you know, talking about, uh, I don't remember what the song was, but it's like a drag queen who's like um, lip syncing uh, the song that plays over the credits. And so that's the end of The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. When it comes to this film, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I mean, it is definitely, absolutely for me, a cult classic type of film. I think it is, um, it obviously, you know, I think some sort of inspiration came from, uh, you know, I think with Tu Wong Fu, there was some inspiration pulled from this film, just a little bit, although I think Tu Wong Fu doesn't get too serious when it comes to it. I do like this movie. I like both movies, um, fair enough, but I like this one just a little bit more. And it was also cool to see, like, these stories of queer people and, you know, uh, you know, a person, even though, you know, of course it wasn't played by a, a trans woman, but, you know, seeing the life of somebody who was transitioning to be a woman and, and who has done that and has had experience and, you know, their characters, you know, just one that is so seminal to the, to the community. Um, and just, this is of course like a real great drag movie. Of course it's, um, it made a, it made a musical adaptation of it, which is awesome. And you know, the music's really good in it. So I definitely think if you haven't already done so, you should definitely take the chance to watch Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Um, currently right now it is on Tubi. I think it might be on Pluto TV too as well. Um, if you want, you can also probably pick up the DVD of this or something, too. Or if you want to, like, pull up and rent it, like, or whatever, that's fine, too. I, I definitely think you should take a look at it. If you haven't already done so, I definitely think it is worth your time. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so by emailing cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you just want to say, hey, girl, hey, I'm open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle. Twitter handle is Cult Cinema Circle. On those platforms, I tend to post when new episodes release. I'll post what the next episode is going to be. Uh, I make Instagram stories with a little fun facts and all that and just general fun stuff over there and on letterboxd you can find me at jesse j-e-s-s-e kremp k-r-e-m-p all one word on there i tend to log the movies that i've been watching i write little reviews about them and just general foolishness over there 
be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. I make it pretty easy for you to find the show. Be sure to leave five stars and a one to two sentence review. Um, It helps get people to see the show more, and it helps more people find the show in general. As always, thank you so much for listening to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, I've been to paradise, but I've never been to me. Take care. Bye.